0: Greetings from Loyola University in downtown Chicago. This is Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm your host, Brian Reardon. And with me as always, we're on the road again, Marianne.
1: We're on the road for the second time in our career.
0: Yeah, well, I think we've been Maybe this is the second one. We did one in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. but uh, with me, as always, is Marianne Steiner. She is the editor of the award-winning publication, Health Progress, and in this issue of Health Progress, we talk about youth at risk, and we're gonna get into a, a one specific topic for this podcast uh, based on that issue, but I, th- I think maybe to start off with, Marianne, can you talk a little bit about this issue and what people might find if, if they uh, pick it up and read it?
1: Uh, thanks, Brian. Uh, you know, when we picked this topic, young people at risk, I didn't expect it to be this hard and, you know, topic after topic was really challenging. Um, you know, uh, young people who have immigrant status, young people who are suffering from some pretty awful diseases, young people who've been trafficked. Uh, it, it was rough, so it was um, it was good to have experts like the people we have here with us today. It was also good to hear from some other people in Catholic health care who had some really good. Um, solutions or options for trying against some of these really difficult situations that um, young people from babies up through young adults are going through.
0: And two of the authors are with us in studio here at Loyola, and we appreciate Loyola University hosting us here. We have, uh, from Loyola, Mark Koshefsky. He is the uh, Father Michael English, professor of medical ethics and the director of the Neiswanger Institute for Bioethics at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine. Mark, thanks for being with us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Brian.
0: We also have Father Corey Brost. He is uh, director of Viator House of Hospitality. Actually, Corey, you didn't uh, write the article, but you're, you're, the Viator House is featured in an article that John Morrissey wrote, we'll talk a little bit about that. So we're, we're glad to have both of you here. And the topic that we're really gonna dig into for this episode from uh, the issue of health progress is uh, immigrant youth at risk, particularly uh, undocumented immigrants. And I think maybe to start off with Mark, um, it might be helpful uh, for us to kind of um, set the table, so to speak, or talk a little bit about We've heard a lot in the immigration debate over the last several years about Dreamers and DACA, and maybe that's a place to start. Can you give us a little background on, you know, what is a Dreamer, what is DACA, and, and uh, what is the status of these these youth that
2: come over, youth that come over um, that are undocumented? Sure. And thanks again, Brian, for this opportunity to talk on behalf of these young people. Um, DREAMERS is an acronym for undocumented youth, people who uh, were brought here as children to this country and have lived here a substantial amount of time, grown up here. Often for many of them, it's the only country they know. As I say, it's an acronym because uh, they they take that term after the DREAM Act, the Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors Act, which was first introduced in 2001 in the Senate by our senator here, uh, Senator Dick Durbin. Uh, Unfortunately, It's come close to passage on a few times, and that DREAM Act would provide a pathway to citizenship for these young people who are undocumented currently. Um, Unfortunately, as I say, that act has never passed. We have a whole generation now going on, two generations of young people growing up here without. Um, any uh, lawful uh, immigration status. Um, And as a result of that, in 2008, uh, uh, President Obama uh, realized that this was quite a disadvantage because when you're uh, undocumented, there's many things uh, that are closed off to you, opportunities that are closed off um, ability to work lawfully for one, and so he created a, a program which is a temporary situation called DACA deferred action for childhood arrivals And uh, when these young people apply they have to have uh, come to the u.s. Prior to the age of 16 lived here for more than five years have a, a clean criminal record uh, And uh, take a certain educational status be in school or at least a, a, a Graduated from high school they can apply and they get what as the name says a deferral of action on their immigration status so um, they are able to, to stay here lawfully two years at a time, and they have to renew that. Um, and, the, uh, and with that, the beauty of it is they also get a work permit, so they're able to at least work lawfully, and that's changed a lot of things. And they can apply for driver's licenses, social security numbers, and that enables them to do an awful lot of the things that many young people here uh, can do. Unfortunately, it is not a permanent immigration status. It's temporary, um, and there are many things that they can't do that they're ineligible for as well. And
0: my understanding is uh, DACA was
2: rescinded in 2017? Uh, Yes. The Trump administration rescinded it on September 5th, 2017. Um, And they uh, planned at that point to close the program and to let all these young people expire out. Because each young person, when they're given their work permit is for two years, and uh, over that time expires if they can't renew. And so they were closing the program to renewals and to new entries. Um, Fortunately, um, several uh, lawsuits have been brought against the, the administration for this. Um, and, and several district courts and appellate courts have kept the program open to renewals at the moment. So everybody who has DACA status can continue to renew for now. Uh, the Supreme Court has just recently agreed to hear the case, so they're going to hear it in the fall and issue a, a ruling in the spring Um, And so with the, but unfortunately it is closed to new entrants so uh, nobody else who uh, doesn't have DACA status currently can apply for it.
1: So the people who are now in DACA who have that status are basically between what age and what age?
2: Uh, well, the, uh, you can apply for it at the age of 16, and so many did uh, as, uh, back in uh, 2008. So um, they are now in their 20s to 30s. Um, nobody who was uh, older than the age of 31 in 2008 could apply for it. So, again, anytime you, you create a piece of legislation or a program like DACA or the Dream Act, you define who's eligible for it, and those cutoffs are very arbitrary mm-hmm. often, um, and so. Uh, Right now, the youngest people with DACA status, because they would have been able to apply at 16 in 2017, would be about 18 now. And unfortunately, the young people who should be aging into the program cannot uh, apply for it now. So we're getting more young people now coming into a Loyal University of Chicago with uh, no papers at all um, undocumented because they're ineligible for it. Uh, but the upward limit then would be people in their 30s.
1: I think you referred to DACA as the stars in your article because they're the ones who get not only the publicity, but they've got the, the most rights of all of the people who have less than. The rights that would be afforded to any other american citizen so would you move from daca to those other undocumented youth and talk about how much less they get
2: sure and you know and for and um it's a great point we talk about them as the stars of the undocumented immigrant movement and um and many of them feel that they they want to just be seen as also part of their, their that undocumented movement in general and not be separated out um, because you know, I'm like the unbaptized babies in limbo. Uh, one of the reasons that most of us rebel against that concept is because it's through no, nothing that they've done that they are there. Right? They couldn't. They weren't really responsible for their unbaptized state, and so um, dreamers or DACA recipients um, are often considered the ones who should have the first pathway to citizenship because um, they were brought here as children. They don't have the normal sense of responsibility for the status that they have. Now, uh, we in, in uh, who embrace Catholic social teaching. I don't think of migrating as doing uh, a wrong at all. And so um, it's, you know, for many people, they talk about undocumented youth they say, through no fault of their own, but implying that their parents have some fault or guilt for what has happened here. Um, for those of us in Catholic health um, our, our th- moral theology sees people as reluctant migrants, that we're family and communal animals. We want to stay near our homes and have our families. Uh, we migrate because of need, because of some kind of deprivation or danger. And so people come here reluctant. You can imagine if you were, um, you had to bring your young child Across a border, um, come, come through the desert or get off a plane and know you're going to overstay a visa and have, have all this oppor- uh, opportunity limited in, in this and be um, afraid everywhere you turn, you wouldn't really want to do that. Most people don't want to do that. And so um, undocumented immigrants come here, and they're trying to get by. They're trying to uh, raise a family, trying to survive, um, trying to contribute to our society, and they do contribute enormously to our society. And so um, it is part of our... our uh, responsibility in, in uh, the Catholic Church and in Catholic healthcare uh, to tell that story, to tell the story of um, these people who are contributors to our, our society. Two-thirds of undocumented immigrants have been in this country more than 10 years. They're members of our community. They're our neighbors. They've been paying taxes. They've been um, doing all the things that contribute to a community, uh, and yet receive able to receive none of the benefits of that. And so um, it really is incumbent upon us to to advocate not just for the stars. Of course, it is important. I mean, what, what is good is that that image of these young people who are just like everybody else's kids opens people's minds a bit to it. When they realize that um, they are your, your physicians. That We have, we have now graduated um, uh, 14 um, uh, uh, DACA recipients from the Stritch School of Medicine. They're going to be serving in underserved communities in our, in our um, state of Illinois. Um, that that's a wonderful image to open people's minds with. But we can't stop there. We do need to, to talk to people about these members of our community who've been here a long time um, and are, are entitled to the full benefits of membership in our community.
0: So let me bring in uh, Father Corey now. Uh, You are the director of the Viator House outside of Chicago. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at the Viator House?
3: Sure. Viator House right now is the home for 25 young men, 18 to 22 years old, from 12 different countries. Each came to the US as an unaccompanied minor, alone, without family, probably at the ages of 16 or 17. More than half our young men traveled from Africa or Asia, to South America and then over months, uh, country by country, sometimes by bus, sometimes by walking days through a very dangerous jungle that separates South America from Central America. They've made it uh, to the U.S.-Mexico border.
0: So about how many miles are they walking? I mean, that's amazing.
3: It's about 4,000, I believe. Wow. Um, it's about 4,000. It's a combination of walking and bus, depending on the nation they travel through, whether that nation is open or hostile Mm -hmm. to migrants. And uh, these young people, under our law, uh, when they seek asylum in the U.S., they are put into government-funded child care facilities for young immigrants. It's a form of detention. They do not have the right... To come and go as they please. but are those they, like group homes. They're like group homes, and there are 10 in the Chicago area, 10 more or less. And um, they are light, they are take, they're the young people are taken care of by licensed childcare experts. In the Chicago area, um, they have a very good track record of treating these young people with dignity and compassion. I can't speak about the many programs around the nation. In those programs, uh, the workers prioritize searching for a relative in the US this young person can live with while she or he awaits an asylum hearing or some other form of legal immigration relief. The goal is to release these young people to family members, even distant cousins, uncles, et cetera. If they have no family to live with or if the government's vetting process is too slow, which is sometimes the case, and the young person turns 18, on her or his 18th birthday, uh, immigration officials show up, shackle the young person, and take her or him to an adult immigration detention center. In the Chicago area, that would be a Collar County Jail. McHenry so a county, a county, jail. county Jail in the Chicago area. In other areas, it's a, a for-profit prison system. Um, and there they are in jail. And they may sit there for the two-plus years that they have to wait to get an interview with an asylum official in the U.S. government. My religious order, the Clerics of St. Viator, was founded in the 1830s to work with young people on the margins, especially as educators, in France, uh, and uh, the, my brother, brother Michael Gosh, was working in immigration uh, with undocumented folks and saw this phenomena of, the, of young people on their 18th birthday being shackled and taken to county jails. Came to our order and said, we need to do something here. This is why we were founded. And so he invited me, he's a close friend of mine for 30 years, to co-found this program with him, Vider House of Hospitality. So working with attorneys who reach out to us when their clients are approaching their 18th birthday, uh, we will write a letter to the federal officials responsible for making decisions over their fate. And more likely than not, that official will sign off on the young person being released on his own recognizance to live at House, um, And that happens after we interview the young person and the young person agrees to live by our covenant. Viderhouse is not a form of detention. We are not responsible for, uh, for what our young men do or don't do. It's a group home they, where they live voluntarily and can live as long as they're following our covenant and working or going to school and working with their case managers. One of the goals of Vider House is to provide an environment of hope, healing, and opportunity so that an 18 to 22-year-old young man can do what we want all 18 to 22-year-olds to do, develop character, get some education, get some work experience, learn life skills, learn relationship skills, and feel safe and cared for. Um, Because we could not accept women, because of the the nature of this group of folks women have so many young women who have made this journey have been sexually assaulted we knew we could not safely emotionally take care of them Um, there we supported a group of Catholic religious women who opened a sister program and run it independent of wider house in the Chicago area called Bethany House of Hospitality It's a long answer to your question, but but, um, that's the context of what we're working with.
1: So that prompts me to ask so many questions because of of what you said. I would think, so you find them, they don't find you?
3: The attorneys, their attorneys generally find us.
1: And there must be hundreds of people for every 25 you can take, right?
3: Uh, Well, we... I, I, I really can't answer that. Yeah, we aren't turning down people every day or every week. It, I you know in the Chicago area there's probably room for f- 500 or so uh, young people in these child immigrant um, group homes funded by the federal government. Uh, we have regular inquiries, but it's not like we're turning people away mm-hmm. every week. We are filled right now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we have had to turn people away who have, young people, and who have been. And it's important, though you know this, to be graphic. We're dealing with young men who were likely tortured at home by their government or by an extremist group, or they saw family members tortured or killed, or by a gang. Uh, young people who, along this several month journey, quite often have come close to death, or they've seen their peers die in jungles. Uh, they've been robbed uh, beaten at times some of them and then they have lost their basic rights even though it's compassionate in some way by being placed in a youth immigrant detention facility where they can't make any choices so it's really even more tragic and painful to think of them being shackled and taken to mchenry county
1: jail um and so they age out with you at 22, is that right?
3: No, we don't have an age out. Uh, we really, are, in some ways, uh, our goal is to do what parents would do. And, and no parent has an age out. True. Um, or some may. Um, but our goal is to create an environment, create opportunities, surround these young men with tutors, mentors, um, other types of positive relationships, some their own age, some retired folks, so that they develop the life skills, the experience, the character, uh, the education that, uh, that will help them become su- self-sufficient and move out on their own um, while they still wait quite often for their hearing.
1: So one of the things that really touched me in the article that John Morrissey wrote about Viator um, House was how you were focused on building new memories for these young men, and and I assume building new communities because mm-hmm. once they move to the next level, once they leave Viator House, I assume there's a community of people who've been through that, that they continue to support each other?
3: Well, uh, we're still so young. Uh, we have only been open since January 2017. 54 young men have lived or currently live with her in our program. And uh, the men who have moved on have not necessarily remained in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But we do make a commitment as men move on to try to, from a distance, be of support and be mentoring them.
0: Have any of them gone to college, for example?
3: Oh, what's in- this is what's incredible. And let me step back, because Vider House is really on its own, with just even a wonderful staff, a small staff, seven folks, um, is a shell. What makes us come alive to become what I I believe is the arms of God embracing these young men are the more than 70 tutors, mentors, house assistants, drivers, who not only help out, but build positive, supportive, uh, life-giving relationships with these young men. And to answer your question, because of Vider House, uh, we've had seven young men graduate high school, and we have had two young men finish a year in a community college. And one of these young men from Niger recently wrote us a letter that said to Stab and said, "When I came to this country, I just took education off the table." Wow. I thought there was absolutely no way but because of you guys and because of my mentors and because of my tutors, I've graduated high school and just finished my first year in college. And a young man who speaks French as a language and then an indigenous language from Africa who who, who travels thousands of miles to get here through all the trauma does not graduate from high school without strong tutors. And not only that, he's a young Muslim man. Without the support of local mosques as well as churches and synagogues. And that's the other thing that is striking and really a reflection of the best of our social teaching is that we are not faith-based, we're interfaith-based. Mm-hmm. One of our priorities is to help each young man practice his faith if he so chooses, whether that need means getting a Quran or getting a Bible, going to mosque or going to the Hindu temple or to the Sikh Gurdwara because we found when it comes to rebuilding these young men that was maybe the only thing they had left when they got here Um, and so we create new memories through educational success through opportunities for counseling through service together through celebrating all the holidays that come up whether they are Muslim or Hindu or Christian
2: I mean, if I could just also um, uh, say, I think Father Corey is highlighting some really important things. And this two-sided coin, one opportunity, these young men need opportunity, just like all undocumented immigrants need some kind of opportunity uh, uh, created for them, or in his case, they're asylum seekers, Mm -hmm. not really undocumented immigrants, technically. Um, and that, that, that opportunity is really important. But immigrants in general are highly motivated people to take those opportunities. And I think in our society, that image gets lost an awful mm-hmm. lot. I mean, these, these people, you know, they're, they're, they're fleeing deprivation and danger. But everybody in their countries, or many people in their country, have that deprivation and danger. These are the people who are talented enough and resourceful enough, able to, to do that, to navigate uh, very difficult pathways to getting here. And so when when they get here, there are people who, if the, the smallest opportunity is created for them, Often jump on it and are able to make a tremendous amount out of it, and and so I'm um, cutting them off from that opportunity. I often liken it to um, the Jim Crow era of segregation, where people are just denied systematic op- opportunity in our society. But once you, you pull down those barriers and create a little bit of a support system, we often get these incredible results. As I mentioned, you know, we are educating a whole um, cohort of uh, of dreamers to become physicians, and are on or some are in residency at this point. And so, um, you know, it, it, is, it is just a wonderful investment in human capital when we're able to provide these opportunities.
3: I want to second that because one of the things I try to dispel when I train volunteers is the notion that they're coming to take care of the poor immigrants. We are welcoming incredibly gifted young people to our country, and our goal is to help them unleash those gifts. They are gifted Though they struggle, and they're 18 to 22-year-old boys, and so they struggle just like all 18 to 20-year-old boys, along with the trauma that they've been through. But beyond all that, there's this resilience and a hunger to make a difference. And just a couple really quick examples. Uh, We maintain, our house maintains a garden where we grow produce for Catholic charities. So we have young men who don't know if they're gonna be welcomed into this country for the rest of their life already growing food for hungry families in this country. One time I was driving one of our young Muslim men and he said to me, Father, I don't have anything right now. I don't have a job, I can't work, I don't have a work permit, my case is is not settled, but I want to help people. What can I do? And I said said, uh, to him, well, I'll help you whenever you want. He said, here's one thing I can do, Father. I realize I can give my blood. I can give my blood. Whenever you see an opportunity for me to give my blood, at least I can do that. As a priest, the first thing I thought about was a Eucharistic narrative. All I have is my blood. Let me offer that. And there in my car, this young Muslim immigrant seeking asylum was the face of Christ offering to give his blood for the health of our nation.
1: That's amazing. Really
0: nice. So in the time we have left, I do want to um, spend a few minutes talking about what those of us who work in Catholic health care need to know. What resources are out there so that when we encounter these youth, what can we do to support them?
2: Um, you know, a couple of things. Catholic health care works on a lot of different levels and can uh, really contribute on all of those levels. Um, one of course, being uh, legislative advocacy, you know um, Catholic health systems have government relations offices and are, are able to talk to their representatives and are in pretty much all 50 states. And so that means they've got two senators in each state and, and representatives. Who really can be talked to about providing a pathway to citizenship to undocumented young people, and that's extremely important. And I, and I know that for Catholic healthcare, they've got a lot of things on their, their plate in it, their agenda. You know, they're trying to save the Affordable Care Act in the early years of this administration, so these other priorities fell back a little bit, um, and they're afraid to, you know, in some states, to get uh, annoyed their legislators if they're in states that are not very immigrant friendly. But it's all the more reason why we need them to speak up for for these young people to their representatives. But also on the clinical level, um, we've developed a website of resources that clinicians can use um, called the Sanctuary Doctoring website. Uh, this was developed in conjunction with uh, Johanna mejia Speck, Dr. Johanna Mejia-Spec, who is uh, one of our DACA recipients who's now in residency, and two other physicians, uh, Dr. Matt Fitz and Dr. Amy Blair. And if they come to our website at luc, for loyal University Chicago, dot edu, luc.edu slash sanctuary doctor, LUC.edu slash sanctuary doctor. You'll find a number of things there, like brochure that, templates that you can print out and uh, and add local resources um, and keep them in your exam room so that undocumented young people can take them or, or all undocumented patients. And it carries with it things like um, uh, connections to immigrant advocacy groups because these young people need to keep in touch with what's going on on the, the, the court level and, and when they need to renew their DACA because um, even if the court strikes it down, we expect. That they'll all age out rather than be uh, out of the program in one fell swoop. So We want them to um, renew at the, the most opportune possible moment. They need that information by being in touch with advocacy groups. Also scholarship organizations that are open to uh, helping DACA recipients and other undocumented youths are, are in the brochure. And so there's a variety of kinds of resources and you can add local resources to that. And so a number of uh, Catholic health systems and other health systems have adopted the Sanctuary Doctrine Program. And it also coaches physicians on how to re- uh, talk to their undocumented patients and reassure them um, and help them deal with some of the stresses. Um, that, that go with being undocumented. And so on that level, um, uh, they can be a big help. And also to remember that Catholic health systems are employers. You probably are employing do- uh, DACA recipients right now in You've Catholic health have got some health physicians, care.
0: apparently, that we might be looking at. <laughs> That's
2: right, we do. Um, but probably some of your staff uh, in, in the clinics or, and things like that may are DACA recipients. And so be supportive employers. Um, make sure that they, they're have, uh, in touch with resources. Um, just to tell one anecdote about that, in one of our clinics, uh, our safety net, Clinics. Um, one of the uh, young men at the front desk eventually, when he when we were bringing out the sanctuary doctoring flyer, he said, "Oh, you know, I'm DACA," and and I, I said to him, "Oh, good, yeah. So you should really be renewing now because of the Supreme Court." And he said, "Oh, I didn't know that we're still allowed to renew. I thought it was rescinded." Here he's working in one of our own clinics, and didn't know this. So people need this information, and so as an employer, we need to be supportive. Um, you can work with your local colleges as well um, to recruit um, uh, DACA recipients and uh, and also create internships opportunities for even for undocumented youth who do not have DACA, um, because you can, through internship programs, create short-term opportunities uh, that, that are not in violation of the law as employers. So there's many ways to welcome them into the community and to give them as much membership in our local community as possible. Again, remember the limbo thing. The idea here is to overcome limbo, to bring everybody into the communion of saints.
3: One of the things I would add is I would encourage people to go to our website viaterhouseofhospitality.com and just see what we're doing and pray about it and see if god can inspire them to replicate this model by creating alliances um, in their area with other community-based groups this what we're doing isn't brain surgery Uh, it's just basic gospel And all it takes is people to be intentional, people to understand uh, the situation and to act and to reach out and build a network where they don't have to do it alone. 90,000 unaccompanied minors came to our nation through the southern border the last two fiscal years. So there should be viator houses all over this country working with the federal government and attorneys so that these young people can find the hope, healing opportunity that I think our young men are.
0: So our last uh, question, Marianne, is there anything you want to cover that we that we haven't covered in the, the time we have left here?
1: Uh, it's just a question about, you know, given what both of you just said, I feel like there is the Catholic Health System Organized Advocacy Front, and there's the almost uh, Pope Francis field hospital kind of response to what's going on and you mentioned mark the um the affordable care act and the way everybody got behind that i feel like what's missing and i hope you've got some answers is a sort of unified approach to what we can do in the day-to-day and what we can do in the long term because immigration and catholic health care doesn't feel like it's found it's um its unified path yet do you have anything to say about that
3: i would say um, prayer is the most important thing to pray over the news that we see at the border and ask god what is the part of this problem you're directing me to bring healing to Uh, i think people can then continue to educate themselves while they pray and I think that that's one of the most important things, is to educate themselves, to pray about it, and then very, very focusedly asking, God, what is the part that I play here?
1: Thanks.
2: You know, and, and Marianne, your, your question's such a good one because um, it does seem like part of the problem has been the lack of urgency around immigration reform. And so, uh, as I mentioned, the DREAM Act first introduced in 2001, and here we have a couple generations have grown-up without it it passing. And to create that sense of urgency is extremely important. Um, You know, calling your representatives is important, even if your representatives are supportive of immigration reform. Um, The problem, it has always seemed, is that those who support immigration reform make it a fairly low priority and those who are against it make it a very high priority. And so we need to uh, to up the sense of urgency to let all of our representatives know that this is a top priority for us that watching young people, their talents just waste away without um, becoming uh, uh, con- full, fully contributing members of our community um, is, is a, a true sin. It, it really is, and uh, we, we just need to up the level of urgency. I was so pleased to see the actions of religious leaders last week in, in the Capitol getting arrested because uh, it, it does seem like maybe we, to get that sense of urgency, we need to start putting ourselves on the line. And that urgency will come
3: if you put yourself in relationship. Mm-hmm. With a, a young immigrant, particularly one seeking uh, DACA relief or a young immigrant seeking asylum, that's what will motivate you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Well, thank you both for taking time. Again, our guests were Father Corey Bros. he is director of the Viator House of Hospitality outside of Chicago, and we had Professor Mark Kashevsky from Loyola. Thank you again both for for being with us and sharing your insights.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Mary Ann, thank you as always, and we thank our friends at Loyola University for hosting us, and thanks to John Morrissey for the work he does with Health Progress and for listening in as our producer on this episode. Uh, again, I'm Brian Rudin, and with uh, Mary Ann Steiner, this has been another episode of Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. And for the two uh, websites that Mark and Doctor or F- Father Corey me, uh, mentioned, those will be on our website, CHAUSA. Dot org you can just go to our podcast page and we'll have both of those links as well as the articles that we mentioned uh, during this podcast will be there as well so we hope you check that out and until next time we'll talk to you